Shores Vacation Bible School those last three days, of, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, rather. But uh, Fontaine, of course, did the brunt of the work, of course, and Kevin, Brother Kevin, did a great job, of course, heading up things. And I want to say thank you to all the workers, but especially the Fontaines for all that they did. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 tonight. I'm trying to move along real quick, but I want to spend a couple minutes to howdy with you and give you a, a Pastor Bennett and Mrs. Bennett update report. Uh, my mother called me this morning, and Pastor and Mrs. Bennett, of course, most of you know this. I've said it several times, of course, and it's been a good year. It's actually been coming on for a long, longer than that. But, of course, they're both with, uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's now, and they, they obviously uh, can't have a hard time getting out. They're still living in their house and so forth. But Mom told me or reminded me a story this morning I just want to share with you, and uh, it ties in with the message. Great rewards in heaven. Um, and Pastor Bennett, of course, uh, pastored our church, New Line Baptist, for 27 years, of course, was a faithful pastor. My brother, who has uh, always been a rebel, uh, I've told the story a number of times, but, uh, oh, I guess it was, uh, oh, a lot of years ago now, 25 years ago, 20 years ago now, maybe, I can't, maybe 30 years ago, I don't know, but my brother took a bullet in the eye, uh, a hunting accident, took a 22 shell, and uh, to put a bullet right here in his eye, up to up 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 to his brain. And mom reminded me of the story this morning. Uh, he went to the Cleveland Clinic. They life started him to Cleveland Clinic, and uh, he walked out of the woods with a bullet in his head. And uh, a Jewish doctor operated on him, and he came out of the operating room, and Pastor Bennett was there. And uh, the Jewish doctor said, just shaking his head like unbelievable, nothing short of a miracle. And I uh, was able to. Of course, my brother can got 95% eyesight out of his eye there. Of course, they were able to save the eye. And, of course, a little bit quarter inch further, they said he would have been killed, of course. And, uh, but Pastor Bennett was there, and Gary remembers that, that Pastor Bennett was there to, to, uh, to uh, pray for him and so forth, of course. And I think of the hundreds of hospital visits that Pastor Bennett made, and I'm sure maybe even thousands and maybe, and uh, all the visits that he did and all the preaching that he did and all the people's lives that he affected, uh, it's... Uh, it take too long to tell this story, but Mom told me all that just this morning. I was, I got a surge of goosebumps. This is all kind of Pastor Bennett related. Uh, my 86-year-old baseball coach joined the Lighthouse Baptist Church uh, a couple, three weeks ago when my 84-year-old aunt joined the Lighthouse Baptist Church. She shared a piano player. There's another church down the road from, from uh, the church that we grew up in. It's a long story, but Pastor was uh, responsible for, of course, uh, there's been a change of pastorate, several changes of pastorate since pastor left, and the church has gone a different direction. And they went to, uh, a number of people have gone to a good church, a soul-winning Lighthouse Baptist Church in uh, Rome, Ohio. Yes, Rome, Ohio. And uh, my mom and dad were there last week for mom and dad are having a hard time. Dad's having a hard time getting out, but they got out for church last Sunday, of course. And uh, there's that group of the 80-some-year-olds and. uh uh, some other folks, of course, they're gathering. There are about 30 of them at uh, this little country Baptist church in Rome, Ohio, serving God. And it can all be traced back, really, and made in large part to Pastor Bennett. He's, uh, he's a victor. He's a champion. With that said, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the third time, according to my good old diary, that I preach this message. I preached it the first time in, actually, the second time in 2011. You don't remember it, so I hardly remember it. So I said, I'm going to preach it again. So there. So let's stand as we read the scripture tonight here in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. Let me slow down just a little bit as we read the scripture. Let's read verses 1 through 9 responsively, or verse 1 through 8 for time's sake here. Second Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 8 read responsively. I charge thee therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, 
at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering in doctrine. For the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. May God his blessing to the reading of his word. We'll have a word of prayer in just a moment. But Paul, of course, this is a, the prison epistle, one of the prison epistles. This is the last prison epistle. He's ready to be offered up. He says so in the text. He's ready to lose his head, literally. And it's going to be I can't say the word, ignominious death. He's just going to die in a dirty Roman prison. And uh, people say, well, that's it. That's going to forget about him. But we haven't forgot about Paul, have we? And uh, Paul died a defeated, uh, a defeated death, supposedly. But I want you to know that Paul was a victor. Our text verse is verse 7, of course. I have fought a good fight. There is a good fight. I have finished my course. None of us can say that. None of us have finished our course here, including Brother Jim. I think he's our oldest senior veteran, so he still hasn't finished his course. He's coming closer than some of us here, but he's, he still hasn't finished his course yet. And he, his, the Bible says, I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. You might have kept the faith up until present tense, but we haven't finished our course yet. But I want to be a victor. I want to give you seven laws of the victor tonight, and let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, in the minutes that we have, Lord, I believe every sincere Christian in this room wants to be a victor. Lord, we thank you that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Thank you, Lord, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Uh, now we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. Lord, I pray you'd bless in our minutes around thy word as Paul was ready to be offered up. He gave this wonderful, wonderful truth. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Help us to be a victor, we pray. And Lord, work in the hearts and lives of each and every person, from our youngest people here to our oldest saints of God. We'll thank you for it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this, this evening. I want to start off with a negative, and then it'll be all positive, Lord willing, from there on out. But Paul was a victor, that's true. But not all Christians are going to be victors, per se. Some will be saved, according to 1 Corinthians 3, yet so, saved yet so as by fire. Some, we read it this morning in one of our text verses, that some of their nakedness will appear to all. We can't lose our salvation, but we can lose our rewards. Job uses a phrase, I just read Job a while back, just a little while back, and Job says that, uh, that he was saved by the skin of his teeth. And uh, some Christians will be ashamed, according to 1 John chapter 2, at his appearing. Not all Christians will finish their course with joy. Some will not hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But all will be forgiven. But according to Daniel chapter 12, all stars will not shine as bright as other stars. Some will shine brighter than others. There is a, the path of the victor. And I want you to know that I've already said in my prayer, and I'll just remind you again, in Romans chapter 8, that great Magna Carta of Christian liberty, 
We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. If God has spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? If God be for us, and he is for us, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Victory, here's my postulate this morning, my, or this, this evening. Victory is yours for the taking. He's already secured the victory. He said it is finished. And he, Jesus, the victory is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. But victory, according to another pastoral prison epistle, I'm referring to Philippians, victory begins in the mind. Philippians 4.13, I've already quoted it once. Let's try it together. Ready? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. One more time. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So let me give you, I was going to give you a handout, but sometimes that almost maybe distracts a few of you. So let me just give you the seven bullet points here this evening here. Seven statements on the seven laws of the victor. Number one, the victor thoroughly understands that his entire life is consumed with a purpose. The victor understands that his entire life is consumed with a purpose. Many people have no purpose in life. Many young people have no purpose in life. They're just going through la-di-da, just whatever has. Used to be a song when I was a kid, Doris Day sang it. I think she, did she die? I think she died in 99. I think she just died recently. Something, I could be wrong, I don't know, but Doris said, Que sera, sera. Do you want me to sing? Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. Now the future's not ours to see, but whatever will be, will be. There's a half truth in that. We can make our destiny, of course, and it's not just, uh, we're not just here by fate and so forth or by happenstance or we're, not, there's, we're here by the divine design, but we have free will. And some people have a purpose in life, other people don't have a purpose. Let me give you three that have a pur- had a purpose in their life. David said as a teenage boy, you need not turn there. We know the story so well, even our kids know it. He went into the Valley of Gath. I stood there with my wife and 40 other people on a tour of, there of uh, the, the great battle of the Philistines. We took five smooth stones out of the same brook, supposedly, that David took those five stones moved stones out, and he said when his brothers chided him, you know the story, Eliab said, you're just a runt, get out of here, you just come here to see the battle, and you're full of pride, and that smarty shot paraphrase, and David said in Psalm, or rather in 1 Samuel 17, 29, is there not a cause? And he went in that valley of Gath, and he fought the giant with the five smooths, with a uh, stone in a sling, and you know the story, and the rest is history. David had a purpose. Paul had a purpose. Acts 20, verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul had a purpose. David had a purpose. Daniel had a purpose. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. But Daniel, as a young boy, and I... Uh, we digress and just say that as a young boy, he was made a eunuch. And adults, you probably understand what that means. Kids, that's, that's okay. Another time, another, another lesson. When you get older, we'll explain it to you. But he went through a terrible tragedy in his life. So a physical ter- tragedy. Chances are he was a eunuch. We don't know that for a fact, but we strongly believe he was. Because he was in the King's Chamberlain, of course. Da- David, but da- Daniel had a purpose in his life. He was a man's man for sure. But he made a unit, was made a eunuch, and he said, the Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. 
nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The first flaw of the victor is the victor understands he has a purpose in life. Do you understand that you are called for a purpose? Let me just run a rabbit trail for a moment here. There are a lot of things I wanted to do as a young person. I changed my career. We had career night here at the VBS on Thursday night. I think it was the kids were supposed to dress in what they wanted to be when they grew up. I'm looking at Kylie. Kylie wants to be a babysitter when she grows up. And all God's people said, isn't that a high and noble calling? I thought that was great. Some want to be a nurse. Some want to be a doctor. Whatever they want to be, a firefighter or whatever. I wanted to be a forest ranger. I wanted to be a marine. I wanted to be a, a draftsman. I wanted to be a number of different things. I changed uh, half a dozen, eight times, of course, as a kid growing up. But then I came to the conclusion that I think there might be a higher calling in life. There might be a purpose, a higher purpose than a man-made occupation, a job. And I'm not castigating any. If you're a factory worker for the Lord Jesus Christ, God bless you. If God's called you to do that, amen. And be the best factory or service worker you can be, of course, for the glory of God. But I knew God called me for a specific purpose. And I've not swayed from that purpose. God called me to serve him. And by the way, in case you haven't figured it out, God's called you to serve him as well. Victors have a purpose in their life. Number two, victors understand that there will be many, and I can say that word again, many, losses in order to win. Let me say that again. Victors understand that there will be many, many losses in order to win. Sometimes you must lose the battle in order to win the war. Jesus said it a number of times. Here's one example. Matthew 16, verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall what? Do you know it? Lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall find it. Sometimes you've got to lose in order to win. Sometimes the way up is the way down. Sometimes to be the chief, you need to be a servant of all. Whosoever be great among you, let them be servant of all. Sometimes you need to be a servant. Sometimes you need to serve. Sometimes you need to, to lose in order to win. I don't think there's any more greater military exploits of an army that, that would end up rocking the world and winning. The, 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 uh, there's a spoof book written many years ago, 50, 60, 60 years ago now. I remember reading it as a kid, The, uh, the Mouse That Roared. And uh, the American, it was a spoof on the uh, Americans and how we rose up against Britain, of course, and the, the giant, the lion, and the, the, the mouse that roared, of course. And, George Washington and his Continental Army lost battle after battle after battle, fighting the greatest army in the face of the earth. Of course, the only lone superpower of the world at that time. I'm referring to American War for the Revolution or the War for Independence. And we lost every battle. It was a battle of a retreat and attrition, a battle of survive to fight another day. But then Yorktown came. And then we, and then, uh, we persisted and we persevered. And, of course, we gained our independence, of course. Sometimes you got to lose in order to win. Sometimes you got to stick by the stuff. Lincoln was born into poverty. You know the story. You've heard it probably many times. Lincoln was faced with defeat through, uh, his, throughout his entire life. He lost eight major elections. He twice failed in business and suffered a nervous breakdown. He could have quit many times, but he didn't. And, of course, he became one of the greatest presidents of our union. And, of course, he, he, he helped uh, save the union, as we know. Other examples of those who suffered many defeats, and there's, the list is long, but let me just give you a few of them that suffered defeats. Victors suffered defeats on a regular basis. In order to win, you have to suffer defeats. 
I preached one of my most enjoyable series of messages I ever preached was 15 years ago now. It took me about a year and a half on Wednesday nights on 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel on the trials, travels, and triumphs of David. I, I don't know how much you got out of that of you old-timers that were here during that time, but I remember getting so much out of that, that year and a half study of David's life. And David, although he's the, he's, we would all say that David was a great victor, we think that David lived probably about 72 years of age. Maybe some say 70, some say 73, what have you. And I chronicled, I did a guesstimation of how many years were good years of David and how many years were bad years. And the vast majority of David's years in his, in his life were what we would call bad years. Years where he was running from Saul, running for his life. Years after, of course, the sin with Bathsheba. And you know the rest of that story, of course. In the last 13 years at least of David's uh, life was filled with wars. David, yet David was the man after God's own heart. David was a victor. I think of Abraham, the idol worshiper of Abram, of course, of Ur of the Chaldees, of course. You know the story, many of you. In 75, and he leaves Ur of the Chaldees, 85, and of course, and he's promised the, the son, and of course, the Hagar incident, and the incident, and the Ishmael incident, and on we could go, and the losing of faith in Egypt, and of course, all the rest. And, but Abraham is the granddaddy of the, the Jew, Jew, Israelite Jewish faith, of course. And then it's Jacob. He wrestled with God, Genesis 47 and verse number 9. The Bible says he became known as Israel, the prince of God. He was a dirty dog in so many ways. He uses slang terminology. His family was one of the most messed up families in human history. Yet it was the Israelite family that's used to bless all the nations of the earth and all, even to this day. Uh, I just interject. If we get into a war, which could happen this week, and it could be a one-day event, I don't know. If we get into a little little tiff with Iran. I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen, but Israel will come to our defense. And who knows what's going to happen? And I said, Israel will come to our defense. We should go to Israel's defense, but they'll come to our defense. It'll probably work that way. Just probably mark my, that's Marty Schott prognostication. Marty Schott prediction. We'll see what happens. But I want you to know that whether Jacob or Abraham or David or Joseph, think of Joseph for just a moment. All the defeats in his life, how he's hated by his brethren, how he's sold into slavery, how he's sold into Potiphar's house, how he's falsely accused, how he's in prison and then forgot about, and all that David or Joseph went through, and then the endurance even with his brothers after he forgave them, and then after daddy died, and they still thought they were in hot water, and David said, no, Joseph said, no, God meant it, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph lost a lot in order to win. Moses, for 40 years uh, in Egypt, thinking he was somebody, for 40 years in the backside of the desert, thinking, figuring out he was nobody. And all the anger issues that Moses had and the mistakes that Moses made. And yet the great deliverer of the Exodus. And then there's others. We could think of Thomas Edison. And I've been to, been to uh, well, of course, Cleveland many times. And then, of course, uh, oh, yeah, I'm trying to think of his factory there in, uh, yes, I think it's in uh, Syracuse, New York, as a matter of fact. Not Syracuse. It's in uh, Rochester, New York, rather. I've been uh, uh, GE and of course and of course the developing of the light bulb. Then there's Churchill. You think of all the Churchill's crushing defeat. If you know history in World War One, Churchill was the the admiral of the navy, of course the secretary of the navy rather of of England, and he made an incredibly a bad call and it was a crushing defeat in World War One. Almost lost the. The Brits, the war, of course, but uh, he redeemed himself 20 years later. And, of course, then there was World War II and the evacuation of Dunkirk, which turned into be a miracle, but the, the, the great colossal defeat as the Nazis stormed and be, made Europe a fortress, of course. Then I want you to know, 
regards to this truth one more time, that truth number two, that victors understand that there will be many losses in order to win. A wise young six-year-old said to me one day, and uh, looking at him, I said, this, this, uh, I wanted to embarrass him, but a wise young six-year-old was playing a video game one day. I'll leave him in the name. I don't want to embarrass him or anything like that. And so uh, uh, I said, how you doing, buddy? And uh, he says, uh, and he was losing, and he says, well, you can't win if you don't lose. I never forgot about that. I got a big chuckle out of that. You can't win if you don't lose unless you quit. The Bible says, for a just man falls seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall in mischief. You only lose when you quit. We're, we're called to be victors. And so victors understand that there are many losses on the road to victory. Number three, victors share an inability with other victors to accept, I said to accept defeat. Now we, we then you say that's a contradiction, Pastor. We, are defe- we get defeated. How many have uh, suffered defeats here? I got both hands up here. Many defeats, legs up, you know. Uh, we, we've all been defeated, but we don't accept defeat. That's not our final outcome. We may lose some battles, but we win the war. I want you to know that there's, defeat is not an option. I have an affinity. My son-in-law, of course, is in the, the Navy, as you all know, and uh, he's working on a Marine base here for the next three-plus years. And I have an affinity a little bit towards the Marines, and uh, Semper Fi, Brother Jim, this is not to butter you up here, of course, but I always liked the Marines. When I grew up, uh, all real men became Marines, in my mind, at least. I was, I was wrong about that, but I used to think that way, at least, that you had to be, if you wanted to be a man, you had to prove yourself by being in the Marines. And victory, the few, the proud. How's that go? The few, the proud. I'm thinking of the, uh, the, the Marines. Yeah, the few, the proud, the Marines. There it is. And so victory is, uh, defeat is not an option. Three things about that. Defeat is unacceptable. Why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of peace and of sound mind. De- defeat is unacceptable. Defeat has no, or victory has no plan B. We want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I think of, uh, I think of President Trump, and I think of, and I know some of you don't care for him, and I know he can be crass. I understand all that. Believe me, I still love the guy, and I know he's got a pride ego issue. We could all talk about that and so forth. But he came down those escalators three years ago, and he said, I am running for the president of the United States. And people mocked him and laughed him for the next three years, the next, uh, next year and a half. He said, he'll never win. He said, he's, uh, he's, just, he's just showboating. He just has no intention of winning. He had intention to win all the way along. He expected to win even when we didn't want, when I didn't care for him, when many of you here probably didn't care for him, but he said, I'm going to win. And uh, I want to win in a different way. I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's how I want to hear, I want to win. Victory has no plan B. And then letter C, victory finds a way when others say it can't be done. Victory finds a way to win. We are, we are equipped to be winners. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. Paul, you lost your head. Paul, you were in the last years in a Roman dingy prison. You, Paul, you were mocked. You were hated. You were despised. Hey, we got Paul's words today. Thank God for the eternal words of God. Paul's words, God's word, and all the, the, the inspiration that Paul's given to millions, hundreds of millions. And yes, um, in the course of uh, 2,000 years, maybe billions of Christians that have, that have uh, followed the vi- pathway of the victor. 
So victor, the victor shares an inability with the victors to accept defeat. Number four, the victor takes responsibility for losses and setbacks. Take the criticism. Uh, it was Churchill, or rather Winston Barty, that the great coach of the Green Bay Packers. I was at Bill Beck's office. Bill Beck is the pastor of the Grace Baptist Church, formerly the Steadfast Baptist Church in Groton. And I, I was, saw his office for the first time a year or two ago was with Brother Phipps. And we went down. He's got a big, huge picture about this big of Vince Lombardi with one of his statements. He's a Vince Lombardi fan. I never was a Vince Lombardi fan per se. He was before my time. And, but he was one of the greatest coaches of NFL coaches there's ever been before there was the NFL. And, of course, in the Green Bay, great Green Bay Packers. And when they lost, it was said that, that uh, or when they won, they, Lombardi would say to his team, he says, you guys, you did it. When they, when they, when they uh, barely won, they said, or they said, we did it. He, he said, when they, they won big, he said, you did it. When they lost, he said, he would say, my fault. He took the blame. And great leaders are not afraid, victors are not afraid to accept responsibility. We, Churchill, of course, and I love Churchill. I've read many books, on, number, several books at least on Churchill. Five Days in London, I would encourage you to read that great book. And I'll give you a synopsis. He was hated in his parliament by many of his members. He was voted in as prime minister just days before the, what was turning out to be a catastrophe, a disaster at Dunkirk and almost the demise of the whole British Empire. A thousand-year reign was about ready to come to an end thanks to the Nazis. And his own party members, his own members of parliament were, were, were hated him and the liberal... Uh, a liberal parliament member named Leslie Hora Belisha launched a fierce attack shortly after the war and the 50-day bombing of, of, uh, of London. And she, she, vote, she called for a vote to censure in, uh, in the House of Commons our, our version of impeachment. She said these words, and I quote, In a hundred days, Belisha declared, we have lost our empire in the Far East what will happen in the next 100 days? Another liberal critic of the Labor Party, uh, Bavan is his last name, launched a more personal attack against the Prime Minister, says, the Prime Minister wins debate after debate and loses battle after battle. The country is beginning to say that he fights debates like a war and the war like a debate. They, they, they were attacking him while he was trying to save the British Empire. Sounds familiar, by the way. It's, Seems like it's happening today in a different way, of course. But we see, the, we see that critics accept responsibility. They, they know, know it's going to come. It's going to happen. David accepted responsibility. The difference between David and Saul and just a soundbite. Saul, when he didn't kill King Agag and he didn't kill the Malachites, when Samuel the prophet came to him, he said, the people made me do it. Marty Schott ver- translation or Marty Schott uh, uh, interpretation, of course. He blamed the people. David, when he committed his great sin with Bathsheba, and Nathan called him on it, he said, I have sinned. And he directly said who he sinned against first and foremost, I've sinned against God. He made no excuses whatsoever. He says, I've done wrong. I've sinned. Victors take the responsibility in, uh, for losses and for setbacks. Number five, the victor plans their work and works their plan. Plan to win. Numbers 14, Numbers 13 and 14. Caleb, Joshua, Caleb and Joshua, we know them well, don't we? 
We name our children Caleb. We got a Caleb here. We got, do we have Joshua's? I don't know if we have Joshua's, I guess. But Caleb, he said, we'd be well able to overcome it. You know the story. They were 40 years old age at the time. Caleb, he said, we'd be well able to overtake the land. Caleb dreamed a dream. Victory comes by dreaming a dream, by believing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's a, there's a dream in, of some, some sorts, a belief in some sorts. Uh, I believe in a God I've never seen and a Christ I've never saw nailed to the cross, but I believe by faith. Faith is a victory that overcomes the world. And I receive Christ as my Savior. Caleb says, we be well able to overcome. He dreamed a dream. And then he had to work a dream, and he worked a dream for 45 years till he's 85 years of age. And we get to uh, the, the book of Joshua, and we read, and when it's 85 years old, the Bible says that he was, when he took that mountain, he says, therefore, give me this mountain. Caleb lived a dream. Caleb worked a dream, Caleb dreamed a dream, Caleb worked a dream, and Caleb lived a dream. But you've got to work your plan and plan your work. It's so important that we decide, we make a... A, a cognitive decision that we are going to be a victor. We're not going to give up. We're not going to, when we fall down, we defeat, we're going to get back up. Number six, victory is not jealous over more talented people than themselves. Victory is not jealous of more talented people than themselves. I've made the joke, and I, I, it's, a, it's a three-quarter joke, and, or excuse me, a one-quarter joke and a three-quarter truth. I've said to people, I figured this out about a year or two or three ago, in a hard way, I said, I said to people, I said, well, why are you the pastor? I'm the pastor because I'm not talented enough to be the assistant pastor. Assistant pastors have to be more talented than pastors. Uh, Caleb, and I'm not saying this because uh, Caleb and his days are numbered with us, of course, Caleb and Jennifer, and I don't mean to embarrass them at all. In fact, I mean to applaud them. But uh, he can do things I can't do. You know that. He can sing, he can flap his hands, he can lead choirs, he can do, do things on computers that I can't do, he can make signs, he has organizational ability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Victors are not jealous over, what more, or one, over more talented people than themselves. Ronald Reagan said you can get a lot of things done when you don't care who gets the credit and when you don't care who gets the glory. Uh, teamwork makes the dream work. If we, we decide we're going to be a great church, we're not a great church, but we have a great Savior. And we can decide we're going to do great exploits for Christ because greater is he that's in us. And we can do it together. Together we can. And we can do it by God's grace. And we don't have to have a superstar. I love, I, I gloss over, I used many times, uh, 1968, was it? You baseball fans were going to go to Cooperstown. I think it was 68, or was it 69? Anybody help me out? The Amazing Mets, the Miracle Mets, 68? I think it was the 68 Mets. And uh, they didn't have a superstar on the team. Amazing Mets. And they won the World Series, of course. When everybody works together, great things can be accomplished for the glory of God. Victors are not jealous over more talented people than themselves. Number seven, lastly, and some comments will be done here in a few moments. The victor dares greatly when most others are afraid to move. Let me say that again. The victor dares greatly when most others are afraid to move. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of the Lord, or the fear of man, excuse me, bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth their trust in the Lord shall be safe. I've already quoted Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I've been to Sagamore Lake twice now, 
that's on Long Island, the home of Teddy Roosevelt. I would encourage you to go there. Uh, I don't think he was necessarily a Christian per se. He was a devout churchgoer. He might have been saved. He was, I think, Dutch Reformed, and so he may, may, may have received Christ as Savior. I do not know. I haven't studied his life enough to know. I've read one book on Teddy Roosevelt. But if you ever go there, there's a big, huge granite monument about, well, it's larger than this pulpit. I would say it's about this high. And it has his poem on there, his words that he wrote, called The Critic. Allow me to read it to you. Many of you have heard it, I'm sure. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. His face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Who strives valiantly, who at best knows in the end the, the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Victors dare greatly when most others are afraid to move. And you study the annals of history. Great battles have been won when others were afraid. Every, every, every Israelite, including Saul of, Saul of um, Kish, of Benjamin, he's afraid to go down in that valley and fight that giant. But the teenage boy said, I'll go down. Is there not a cause? I'll fight the good fight of faith. Not knowing the end result, but knowing that God's on the throne. We, the mouse rose up against the lion, of course. I'm referring again to our American independence. We took on the greatest naval uh, armada that's ever been assembled in human history in modern-day warfare. I'm referring to the Battle of Long Island and, and the 30,000-plus troops uh, came ashore in what we know of today as Manhattan from the British Army, the Redcoats, as we know them. We fought and we've, we stood for years when we fought until the battle was won, and our battle cry was, no king, we don't have a king, not King George, but King Jesus. And so every day, let me, let me sound by seven points one more time, the law of the victor. The victor thoroughly understands that his entire life is consumed with the purpose. The victor understands that there will be many, many losses in order to win. The victor shares the inability with other victors to accept defeat. Fourthly, the victor takes responsibility for losses and setbacks. Fifthly, the victor plans their work and works their plans. Sixthly, the victor is not jealous over more talented people than themselves. Seventh and last, the victor dares greatly when most others are afraid to move. I want to summarize the message by saying this tonight here. Victors wake up every day and renew their commitment to fight the good fight of faith. I couch this, I want to end with a poignant illustration, and I sure don't want to embarrass. In fact, I'm, again, I'm applauding Jennifer and Caleb. You notice I said Jennifer first. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're going to miss them. Of course we're going to miss them. Uh, does, is there a sting? Of course there is. There would be, it would be bad if there wasn't a sting. It would be really bad if we, yeah, good, uh, good they're going. That, that's not how it is. No, we're going to miss them greatly. But we wish them the best. God's going to use them greatly, and there's lost souls in North Carolina, thousands of them, just like there's lost souls here. In fact, they'll be in a bigger city than our city, of course, and they, 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 they get a great opportunity to serve the Lord, but we're going to miss them. Now, I don't say this to, to cause any worry. We're victors, after all. And I don't know the future. I don't know what God's going to do for us and how we got some other people moving. Uh, Spike and Agnes told me this morning here that they got a couple more weeks and their the house is being set on the foundation. They bought a modular home and it's being set on the foundation tomorrow, I understand. And they're going to be out of here in a few weeks and they're going to be gone. And other people are thinking about moving and moving down south and out west. And that's understandable. People trying to get out of Connecticut. I get it. I get it. 
But the God of North Carolina and the God of Pennsylvania is still the God of, of, God of Connecticut. And the God of, uh, of uh, named the church is of Faith Baptist Church in uh, Fredericksburg, uh, Virginia, or Harvest Baptist Church of Torrington or New Hartford, Connecticut. God's still the same God. We're, we're still on the Victor's side. We're just finding a different spot. God's going to take care of us in his way. I don't know. You say, preacher, you have a crystal ball. You know what's going to be, the, going to be our future? I don't know. Churchill stood up and he stood up against those, and he stood up in Parliament when people thought he was crazy and said, we'll never, 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 never surrender. We'll fight on the beaches. We'll fight on the shores. We'll fight in cities. We'll fight in the streets. But we will never, never, never surrender. Little did he know, I think he had a premonition, but of course the 50 days bombing of 43,000, I think it was, Englanders, men, women, and children died the next 50 straight nights of bombing in London, England, the capital of this country. And yet they maintained and they held true and they held tough and they were free today because a few said, we'll never surrender. Thank God for victors. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. We have the same God that Paul had when he said those wonderful words. Uh, we're henceforth, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, as usual, your people listen very well to this sometimes feeble preacher. But Lord, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us if we'll just stay by the stuff and we'll stay faithful. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Lord, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Father, right now there's a lot of people that probably don't realize that Pastor Bennett, is Don Bennett and Betty Bennett are great victors. Lord, their minds are going. They don't remember what happened five minutes ago in some cases. Lord, it happens to the best. Yet, Lord, the battle, the last line of the story has not been written yet. And Lord, one day they'll hear those words, so well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then we'll discern between those that served God and those that did not serve God. Lord, help us to be on the winning side. Help us to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, thank you for this privilege of being on the winning side. If we just stay with the stuff, stay faithful to you, knowing that greater see this in us than he is in the world. Pray blessed as we close our service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Faith is the victory. Let's stand. We'll sing the first and last verse. I didn't get to page number. Faith is the victory. Do we have 174? Let's sing the first.